Good morning. Uh, can everyone hear that okay? Is that good? Thumbs up? Uh, the question I'm asking this morning is how does Jesus meet us in our doubts? How does Jesus meet us in our doubts? Uh, I was born into a big family. I'm the youngest of seven kids. Uh, and I was born into a Christian home. Um, and my dad was a pastor uh, for a long time. And then he was a professor at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, some of which you may be familiar with. Uh, but when I was eight in 2003, he was diagnosed with dementia. And over the next 14 years, he declined until he passed away in 2017. So this experience in my childhood has given me a lot of reasons for emotional doubt. It's given me a lot of questions about the goodness and the character of God. And uh, it's, I've been thinking of that quote that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. I think I'm, can you, everyone still hear me? Give back a bit? Okay. I've been thinking, okay. I've been thinking of that quote that we've been talking about for the last few weeks by A.W. Tozer, which is, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think what I've thought about God over the course of my life has been largely informed by my experience. It's been largely informed by my experience. So that by the time I got to seminary a few years ago and someone talked about God delighting in me and God delighting in giving good gifts to me, I was kind of caught off guard and didn't think that God was someone who was like that. And there's certainly enough suffering in the world to go around. I'm sure uh, each one of us have a, has a situation or multiple situations, or they know someone that makes it hard to believe in the goodness and faithfulness of God. We can just think of COVID-19. We can think of the way that COVID-19 has affected our families. Uh, and sometimes in light of our experience and circumstances, we struggle to believe in God's presence and character. Sometimes in light of our experience and circumstances, we struggle to believe in God's presence and character. So we're going to explore uh, the story this morning of Jesus walking on the water and see a place where all the disciples also struggled to believe in Jesus' presence and character, and we're going to try to find ourselves in their story uh, this morning. And before we move into the text, uh, I want to say a few words about how faith and doubt typically work. Um, a, a misconception might be that faith and doubt is like an on and an off switch, that either you have faith or you have doubt and there's no in between, but actually, I think doubt is actually a symptom of another belief. It's a symptom of another belief which competes with our faith. It's another way of interpreting the evidence. So, for example, an intellectual doubt uh, in the bodily resurrection of Jesus might be based on a belief that this world is all there is and that miracles are impossible. Or an emotional doubt in the goodness of God might be based on a belief that if God is good and wants good things for us, bad things won't happen to us. Doubts are often seen as obstacles to faith, but I think it's by interrogating and pursuing our doubts that 
uh, we actually are led to a more mature faith. And so as we investigate the question, how does Jesus meet us in our doubts? And we uh, enter this scene. First thing that happens is that Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat. He makes the disciples get into the boat, and the verb is actually pretty strong. It's like he compels them to get in the boat, and he doesn't go with them. And we know that each word is uh, chosen very carefully, and so we might ask, why does he compel them uh, to get into the boat? And we'll just set that question aside, and when we address it at the end, uh, you'll, know, you'll know that I'm almost finished. Uh, and so the disciples go into the boat, and there's a scene of contrast of Jesus quiet on the mountainside praying. And he, and on the other hand, there's the disciples in the boat, and a storm picks up. It says, The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so the disciples have been in the boat for a long time. Jesus dismissed them probably maybe around... He dismisses the crowds. He makes the disciples get into the boat. Maybe it's evening, 8 or 9 o'clock. Uh, and they're in the boat constantly uh, fighting the waves, fighting the storm. And it might rec- uh, make us remember another time that they were in the boat fighting a storm. It's just a few chapters earlier. Uh, the wind is battling me here. And in chapter 8 of uh, Matthew, they're in the boat in the storm, but Jesus is with them. And they're able to say, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Uh, And so he wakes up and he calms the storm. And so perhaps this time they're thinking, like, I wish he were here. You know, why, like, why did he make us go on and then not come with us? Because if he were here, he could calm the storm and we would be okay. That's often when we miss someone the most, isn't it? When we're presented with a problem that they in particular would have helped us with when we're presented with a problem that they, in particular, would have helped us with. So, for me right now, I'm going through seminary, I'm in a big period of life transitions, and so this is a particular point in my life when I miss my father because he enjoyed theology, he was a pastor, and so this is a particular time when I would have uh, really valued his advice. And then the text says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Another translation would say, uh, after the fourth watch, and the fourth watch was between the hours of three and six in the morning. Uh, So if Jesus dismissed them uh, in the evening, you know, they've they've been battling the storm for several hours, uh, you know, past midnight, and they're tired, they're hungry, and it's the middle of the night and in the moonlight and in the wind and the waves they look and suddenly they see a guy walking on the water uh, you know illuminated by the lightning it's like a it's a pretty spooky scene actually and so they cry out it's a ghost so the disciples see Jesus but they cry out it's a ghost because they doubt that it's really him they doubt that it's really him Uh, And they have two, perhaps two beliefs that inform this doubt. The first being that 
they may not have expected Jesus to be able to walk on the water. They were used to seeing him have human limitations. So even though he could do miracles and they saw that, they also saw him get tired. They saw him fall asleep and need sleep. They saw him get hungry, get thirsty. And so here he's walking on the water and it, they don't think it's him. Another reason that they doubt that it's really Jesus is that they expect that if it were actually him, he would immediately intervene on their behalf. That is, why hasn't he calmed the storm if it's really him? Why hasn't he calmed the storm if it's really him? They expect his immediate help because, I mean, they just saw in the previous scene in uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 13, uh, and following, when he feeds the 5,000, he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them, and he immediately helps them. So why hasn't he calmed the storm? Perhaps there are situations uh, in our lives where we feel like we doubt that God is present with us because he hasn't calmed the storm. You can think of addiction, alcoholism, COVID, the many ways in which uh, storms enter our life, and we don't know why they happen. Well, Jesus walks out to his disciples, and he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And he speaks those words to us today, too. It's two commands grounded by one indicative statement. Take courage, don't be afraid, because it is really me. I am really here on the water. And not only is he here on the water with us, but he's Lord of the storm. He's not just a comforter, but he's in control. But if he says, uh, notice also that he, ground, he, th he thinks that uh, the only thing the disciples need for, him, for them to take courage and to not be afraid is his presence. He, Jesus hasn't calmed the storm yet, and the only thing uh, he's done is he's told them he's there. And so he expects we're able to take courage even when he's there and we don't realize it. But if he's with us and he doesn't calm the storm, then how does that help us? If he's with us but he doesn't calm the storm, how does that help us? Well, the next thing that happens is that Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. This is a, the most counterintuitive thing that Peter could have done. I mean, Paul asked me when we were talking about this message, you know, like, why did he get out of the water? And I was, I had no idea. Like, why would you do, why would you get out of the boat into the water? But it's the most counterintuitive thing that he could have done. The, the water is what they're terrified of. The water represented chaos. It's the thing that was going to kill them. But he has this surge of faith. He has this surge of faith because he's compelled by the person of Jesus. And so he's able to get down out of the boat and he begins to walk 
towards Jesus. But his faith is also accompanied by doubt because it says when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Suddenly he sees his circumstances and he's more compelled by his circumstances around him and the waves than by Jesus in front of him. He's more compelled by the, his circumstances than by Jesus in front of him. And it's this weight, his weight of experience of what he knows perhaps normally happens. The weight of his experience, what he knows normally happens when you walk on water is that you sink and that he's scared of, of dying. And that's true for us today, isn't it? It's that the testimony of our experience is stronger to us than any propositional truths because we live it. We feel it in our bones. It's, it's our physical memories. Peter forgets that Jesus, seeing, seeing the circumstances around him, Peter forgets that Jesus is Lord of the storm and that he's walking on the water. In my own experience, it's easy to question if God is good. It's easy for me to ask, if God is good, then why did he let my father die? If God is good, why did he let my father die? But to frame the question in this way, it betrays the fact that I'm saying that God only relates to me through the experience that I had with my dad. And it discounts all the other ways that God is related to me and it fails to account for all the good things in my life as well. Being born in Canada, um, having a Christian home, a Christian schools, teachers to uh, help me on my way, friends to come when I preach for the first time. And so in order to, for me to relate, to uh, view my circumstances fairly, I hold up not only the bad, but also the good. Not only the bad, but also the good. Can I ask you uh, to do that as well? To hold up not only what hurts, not only what is seemingly unexplainable, but also the ways that God has worked for our, your good. And the next thing that Peter does we can also learn from. He cries out, Lord, save me. He doesn't doubt that Jesus can save him. He doesn't doubt that Jesus can save him. What he doubted was that Jesus would readily act on his behalf. And so when he cries out, Lord, save me, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he didn't merely snap his fingers and buoy him up. He didn't merely just lift him out without reaching out to him, but he gave him something physical to hold on to. He reached out and condescended to Peter's human expectations. And what this also shows us is that when we cry out, Lord, save me, he doesn't always, Jesus doesn't always give us what we want. Perhaps Peter wanted Jesus to just make him be able to walk on the water again. Perhaps he wanted the storm to be calm. But we, we do receive exactly what we need. 
And then it says, they climbed into, uh, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So we're overwhelmed with Jesus' mercy uh, towards Peter and towards us today. And we have a different outcome when they get back in the boat and the storm is calm than we had back in chapter 8. If you, back, if you turn back there, Jesus calms the storm and they ask a question. They say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? And now, here in verse 33, they answer their question. Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. And so we might realize that over these six chapters, whatever the time frame is, that they're learning. They've grown. They've come to a deeper understanding of Jesus' identity, a deeper understanding of his character, of his love for them. And now we can go back to that question that I asked near the beginning. Why did Jesus make them get into the boat? Because in some way he knew the circumstances that were going to befall them. He knew what was going to happen, and he uses their real-life situations to uh, provide a, a situation that he can disciple them and teach them about his character. And the disciples thought that Jesus had forsaken them on the water, but he hadn't. And sometimes we think God has forsaken us in our storms, but he hasn't. And Jesus also thought he was forsaken. In God's cosmic storm of wrath against sin, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he receives no answer. There was no outstretched hand to him on the cross. There was no rescue because his sacrifice is what was needed for our rescue. His sacrifice is what was needed for our rescue. But his death, which was the payment for our sin, was also not the end of the story. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating death, and also bringing us hope in the face of all the things which make us doubt. Bringing us hope in the face of all of the things which make us doubt. And he appeared uh, to his disciples and he commissioned them with this promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful and that you have mercy on the one who doubts. We also thank you that you do not remain distant from suffering in this world, but you became part of it, and that you redeemed us by your blood on the cross. We ask that you be with us as we go from this place and as we seek to 
serve you uh, amid our fears, amid our doubts. Please sustain us. In Jesus' name, amen.